Welcome to Between the Two of Us. I'm Jen Alley. I'm a licensed professional counselor, and my goal is to make therapeutic concepts and neurobiology accessible while normalizing your experience as a human being. In these episodes, I offer practical strategies to improve your relationships and your life. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to Between the Two of Us. This is your host, Jen Alley, and We are going to talk today about setting goals or resolutions or intentions for 2024. So for a lot of us who celebrate Christmas, it's now behind us. So we're sort of in that in-between place between 2023 and a new year. I don't know about you. I've always loved a fresh start, a clean slate. I love New Year's. I love a new semester, a change in season. I definitely live in the wrong place for that. I'm here in central Texas and we don't get a ton of season change, a little bit. It's kind of either cold or hot or cool or hot. But I wanted to first just kind of talk about the prevalence of goal setting and resolution setting. About 37% of Americans say that they have a goal or resolution that they want to achieve each year. And about 87% of those people say that they're very or somewhat likely to keep it through the year. However, a Forbes survey found that the average resolution only lasts about 3.74 months. And only 8% of the people actually stick with their goals for one month. 22% last about two months and 22% last three months. And then that 13% lasts four months. And so I don't know about you. I tend to set some goals or some resolutions, but like many others, you know, they can kind of trickle away. And I think one of the challenges is this sort of all or nothing thinking, like we're either doing it or we're not doing it. But I'm going to encourage you to think about it more like, do I have some goals or some things I want to shift? And if it's not, can it be like not all or nothing? Like, And also, like, we can start a new goal at any point, right? We tend to think of it as this new year sort of thing, but it can be at any point. So the research does show that action-oriented goals are more likely to result in success than avoidance-oriented goals. So, for example, I'm going to walk every day is more likely to stick that I'm not going to eat sweets ever again. So let's talk first a little bit about some of the most common resolutions. As you might imagine, number one is improved fitness, followed by improved finances, improved mental health, weight loss, which again goes back to kind of that improved fitness and improved diet. So at least three of those are focused more on sort of physical health. If you're not the sort of person who is setting resolutions, maybe you are setting some intentions. A lot of people like to choose words um, that they're going to focus on. So personally, there are a couple of words I'm, I'm focusing on this year. And so in 2024, the two words I am choosing are presence and consistency. And the reason I pick these is because I think the presence part is I can be sort of a person with a busy mind and just busy doing a lot. And so I feel like for myself and for the people that I love, it's really important that I slow down and that I be present. And so 
to kind of do this, part of what I'm going to do is I'm trying as, you know, as many days a week as I can is to set just a few minutes aside for myself to spend some time just reflecting, doing a little gratitude practice, going inward, just noticing what I'm feeling or thinking or needing. I do have a free tracker that I will link in the show notes that you can grab if you if that sounds interesting to you. I don't usually write directly on it. I just write in a little journal or notebook and I have a few minutes of quiet time where I do some sort of devotional or quote or something that I'm reading, um, something motivational, inspirational, spiritual, something like that. So in relation to other people, I want to be more present, I think, trying to, you know, avoid having my phone out when I'm with my people, like my family, and trying to, instead of having this sort of running to-do list, really having intentional time that's set aside where I just am with my people. And then as far as consistency, I'm a person who struggles a bit with consistency. I think um, there's some things I'm really consistent about and then other things that are just harder for me. So Things like moving my body more for my mental health. I feel a lot better. My hormones are more balanced when I move more. And so, um, and even consistency in friendships and relationships. I think I'm a person, again, who I love people deeply. And also I can kind of um, be inconsistent about reaching out or, you know, staying connected. And so those are my two words that I personally have chosen for 2024. And I love that because I love choosing words as an anchor to come back to. And they they can affect a lot of my behaviors, as I was mentioning. But there's sort of this like root for me of something I can return to. And it doesn't feel so like, oh, I missed, I missed a day of exercise. But it's more like, oh, in this moment, can I be more consistent? In this moment, can I be more present? oh, I'm finding I'm moving away from that. How do I get back to that? I wanted to talk now about how behaviors and thoughts and feelings are all connected. And I thought that that was an important kind of side note in this podcast episode because when we do something, like when we do something behaviorally, it affects how we think. And it also will have a domino effect and will also impact how we feel. And thoughts and feelings are pretty tough to change. You know, if we think something or we feel something, we can try some different thought stopping, you know, strategies. But behaviors are the thing. They're not easy to change, right? It's not easy to change a behavior. However, it is easier than changing our thoughts and feelings. And so let's just say I'm having a hard day. I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling, you know, yeah, let's just say I'm feeling stressed. I'm having stressful thoughts. I'm thinking about all the things I have to do. I'm feeling sort of overwhelmed. And maybe I don't even feel like I have time for a walk, but I get outside and I take a 20 minute walk. Chances are when I get home, I will feel better. My mental health will have improved. I will feel less overwhelmed, even though I won't have moved the needle on any of my tasks necessarily, my thoughts will feel more clear. And then of course, again, it just has a domino effect. And then maybe I feel more motivated, more energized. I can tackle some of the things I needed to do. And then I start to feel more accomplished. My 
sense of self-esteem improves. So again, these are all connected, but the easiest one, not easy, but the easiest one to focus on is our behaviors. So I just wanted to kind of throw that nugget in there that if you are thinking about changing something, or even if you're feeling like I need to shift something, you want to start with the behavior. Now we do know that there are sometimes when we're so depressed or so anxious that it can be really hard. So if consistently you're finding it very hard to do the things that will help you to feel better, like moving your body or reaching out for connection, that's a point where you probably want to maybe get a physical, make sure everything is looking good on your blood work, and also probably seek some support either from a mental health therapist or even from a psychiatrist. You know, there's a lot of stigma around taking antidepressants or medication, but the reality is, is that your brain is just like any other part of your body. And so if you were diabetic, for example, your body needs insulin to work and function better. And sometimes, I think I read about a third of the population is low on serotonin. And so sometimes we just need a boost. We need that antidepressant to help raise our baseline so we can do the behaviors that will make us feel better. So I wanted to throw that in there. So I next wanted to talk a little bit about the difference of just making one degree of change. You know, it's easy to go into a new year with lofty goals, um, but actually just small little tiny changes can land us in a very different spot than we are now. We don't have to make these huge, like, I'm, I mean, if you want to run a marathon and that's your goal, that's awesome. But maybe just making these small little goals will totally shift your life. So it does, it has a ripple effect if we just change by one degree. So here's an example. An, an airplane leaves from LA and they're flying directly to Rome in Italy. The flight should take about 12 hours if they go in a straight and direct line. However, if the airplane is pointed just one degree off course to the south, the plane will land in Africa somewhere. That's crazy, right? So a super small difference in direction has a huge effect in outcome over a long distance or a long time. And so small activities that are repeated over and over again, hence my word, consistency, has a huge impact on us. So maybe we don't get to the gym five days a week to exercise, but if we went two days a week, more than what we've been going, that's going to have a huge impact. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. So let's shift directions just a little bit. I really want to talk to you about what are some habits in our life that we can shift to help our mental health. And I learned some things actually too. I kind of had an idea about a lot of these, but when I dug into the research, I was a little bit surprised as well. So what are ways that we can impact and improve our mental health in 2024? So, and again, start today, right? Today is the 26th. Start today. So we can drink more water. And what I didn't know is that people who drink enough water have a lower risk of anxiety and depression. And anxiety is higher in people who don't drink enough water. Of course, we do know usually that it 
you know, improves our brain function. We have less confusion. We're less fatigued. And it also can improve our mood. So that's pretty cool. So I didn't know that. So I'm a, for those of you who don't know me personally, I am an avid coffee drinker. So I'm going to need to uh, boost up my water intake. Uh, next, we have a gratitude practice. For some people who I have seen in therapy as my clients, they have said that this is the single most impactful thing that they have ever implemented in their lives. So a gratitude practice doesn't mean that there's that we just are like Pollyanna, oh, only good things. It's not like that. But it is about can we really focus each day on what is going well, even just for a couple minutes? Can we write down or can we text someone that we're doing this with just a few things that we notice that we are grateful for? So what we know is that neurons that fire together wire together. And our brains naturally look for what is wrong. Just from survival purposes, that's how our brains are naturally wired. And the more we look for what's wrong, the more we see what's wrong. On the other hand, if we start training our brains to look for what is good, to look for what we are grateful for, that is so impactful. And again, it doesn't mean we won't struggle. It doesn't mean that the hard things aren't hard, but it also means that we are wired, we're noticing this other part, which is that these other things that are good in our lives. So higher levels of gratitude are associated with lower levels of depression. People who have a grateful mindset have higher satisfaction with life. They report stronger social relationships and even increased self-esteem. I also think it's good because practicing gratitude can help you focus on the present. So if you are naturally wired a little anxious, you know, anxiety tends to be focused on the past or on the future. But if you if you can notice what's good in this moment, it helps you to focus on what is present. And so that's actually an anxiety coping tool. Also, we know that several studies show that a grateful mindset positively affects biomarkers associated with the risk for heart disease, which is pretty cool, and it helps calm the nervous system. So I thought for just a second, if you could just notice, like, what is your mood right now? How are you feeling right now? How are you doing right now? And, you know, what is your mood? And I want you now just to really picture and bring to mind something in your life right now that you're super grateful for. So bring that into your mind, really picture it, kind of imagine it as though it's, if you're not driving or something like that and it's safe to close your eyes, you can just really sort of like be in that moment with whatever it is that you're grateful for. And now I want you to notice how you feel now. Just notice if there's any shift. Maybe there will be, maybe there won't be, but just notice if there's a shift in how you're feeling when you check back in with how am I doing? What am I feeling? What am I noticing? So next we're going to talk about sleep. We know that sleep disturbances are linked to higher levels of psychological stress as well as all sorts of mental health disorders and issues. So Poor or insufficient sleep is hard for all of us, right? And for some people who struggle with sleep, that can just be so tough. So we know that poor or insufficient sleep increases negative emotional responses, right? It makes us 
less able to regulate our emotions. If you think about times where you're tired, it just really causes us a lot of times to decrease our window of tolerance for things. And so it impacts our ability to perceive the world accurately. We're going to have maybe a skewed, more negative reaction or perception of things, people, and the world at large. Sleep is hugely important because it helps regulate emotions, behaviors, it helps us to have better attention, ability to learn, and of course our memory improves. We know that uh, those with mental health disorders may struggle with chronic sleep issues, and of course then it's like a cycle, right, because the symptoms are exacerbated, the symptoms of the disorder exacerbated, sleep is worse, as sleep is worse, symptoms get worse, so on and so forth. So the American Academy of Sleep Medicine says that at least seven hours of sleep on a regular basis are really important to promote optimal health and functioning. And for some people, it's more like seven to nine hours that they need of sleep. I know that I am a person who really functions better on nine plus hours. And in fact, you know, I really struggled after, especially after our second kiddo was born, with now in hindsight, I realized it was like postpartum anxiety and depression. And I really think it was because of the chronic lack of sleep. It was just so tough. I mean, all the changes in hormones are hard too, but I think for me personally, wow, like not getting enough sleep and as a person who really needs a lot of sleep, like that wrecked me. So I think that's something we need to look for, for, you know, moms who are postpartum, that that is something that is just really difficult. And again, that might be a time where you do need to pursue some sort of antidepressant if you're not already on one, just to be able to raise your baseline enough to do the things in order to feel better. Because when you're, when you can't get sleep, right, if you have a newborn baby, it's not like you can just sleep more. You, you can't sleep more. So we might need that extra support from medicine or something like that. Next, let's talk about exercise. So I know no one wants to hear this because if you, if you are an exerciser, you already know this. If you're not, maybe you feel guilty about it. But what we know is that if you move your body regularly, we are going to have better mental health and emotional well-being. We'll have lower rates of mental illness. Our mood will be better. We'll sleep better. Our libido will be higher. We will have less stress in our bodies, more energy, more stamina. It helps us to age better with time. Um, we'll have reduced tiredness and increased mental alertness. We can concentrate better. So, of course, reduced cholesterol, improved cardiovascular fitness, so all kinds of physical benefits as well, um, but super good for our brain. And also, it, as for me, I know that like my hormones are way more imbalanced when I exercise, and so I feel better um, throughout the month if I'm exercising because probably it boosts my serotonin, right? We know it changes the chemicals in our brains. It also changes and reduces our stress hormones boost endorphins. So it makes us just feel better. Exercise also distracts us from negative thought patterns. It provides us an opportunity to experience new things. Maybe you try different classes. Um, I know for me this last year, I took up pickleball, which has been so much fun. And so in addition to a way to move my body, it's not a super awesome exercise all the time, but it's a way to move my body, but it's also a great way to socialize and to increase connection. So it can be, you can get it kind of twofer, right? If you're 
choosing something that is interactive. It's a great social support for us as well as this has these things have this physical benefit. Exercise also helps us to have an outlet for frustrations. It can help us when we're feeling stressed, feeling overwhelmed, just to kind of help reduce all of that. And it helps us to feel more relaxed. So if you can, it doesn't have to be you know, anything crazy, I think they recommend about at least two hours to five hours of exercise per week. Um, I think, again, that's going to depend on your body and what your doctor tells you is good for you. But even just walks outside, 20 to 30 minute walks outside can make a huge impact on our physical well-being, which then has a really strong impact on our mental health and well-being. Next, let's talk about getting outside. You know, most of us are in front of screens hours and hours a day. It's so not good for us, and it's not how our bodies were built. And so something super important, maybe even more than ever, is that we just get outside. We know that if you can get outside for 20 minutes or more, it just causes the body's production of cortisol and other stress hormones to decrease. And that helps our brains and our bodies to relax, which of course then in turn helps us to sleep better and, you know, even just to focus, to feel better in our relationships. Getting outside boosts our mental health. It also can decrease anxiety and depression. So we know that there's a really positive change in our brain if we can walk in natural settings. So if you can get into the woods, get onto a trail, even if you just want to go sit outside or work outside, getting outside, getting some sunshine is so important. Let's talk now about mindfulness. So we know that a major benefit of mindfulness is that it encourages you to pay attention to what's happening inside of you, like your thoughts, your emotions, your body, your sensations. I would say that this is one of the first skills that I teach people in my practice is how to watch their internal experience. So when we do that, it sends electricity to our orbital medial prefrontal cortex. A lot of people refer to that area as our third eye. And so how this is beneficial is, is that the more we can be in connection with what, what our internal experience is, the more that we can respond instead of react, right? When we react, we are reacting from a different part of our brain that is much faster that is, you know, maybe reacting from past hurt or past experiences. Um, this is not to like say that that's bad. It's just that like we want to be able to watch what's happening to kind of slow this down in order to know what's really going on inside of us to be able to communicate what we need and feel to better care for ourselves and also to better relate with other people around us. So it just gives us greater insight versus sort of a greater reactivity if we don't have any sense of mindfulness or ability to watch our own mind. We also know as far as mental health goes, right, that it helps us to manage stress when we practice mindfulness, helps us to cope better. It reduces anxiety and depression. And many people who practice mindfulness report an increased ability to relax and a greater enthusiasm for life and self-esteem. So there are also some really great apps for practicing mindfulness if this is something new to you. I know um, Headspace and Calm, um, these are not sponsored. I'm just off the top of my head. These are things that 
Uh, these are apps that I have looked at before and that some of my clients use. But also, again, we can just have a time where we just go inward each day. And a great way to even practice this is just like in your day-to-day life, if you just take a minute and pause and like kind of go inside, like what am I noticing? You can start to notice your breath. So we'll do longer episodes on mindfulness. It's a great, um, it's a great practice, but you can just start doing that in small moments, in small ways, even now. And again, that tracker that I created is a great way to practice mindfulness because it it gives you direction and kind of how to go inward. There's also a ton of guided uh, meditations that take you through mindful exercises. So I will link some of those in the show notes for you. Let's talk now about social connections. We know that social connectedness influences our minds, our bodies, and our behaviors. It impacts our health. So if we're more connected, it, it increases our health and it even improves our life expectancy. Of course, we also know on the opposite end that loneliness can be worse than smoking for us. So social connectedness leads to a longer life, better health, a better, more improved well-being. We're also more likely just to report greater degrees of happiness, right, and contentedness when we are socially connected. So it's all about the desired number, quality, and diversity of relationships that help us to have that sense of belonging, feeling supported, feeling cared for, and feeling valued. And so I think as adults, it's really hard actually sometimes to make new friends. Um, when you know when we're younger, we're in different environments like school and organized sports and things that put us in relationship with people in a different sort of way. And as we get older and busier, maybe have our own families, it can be trickier to make uh, friends. It's a vulnerable thing to put ourselves out there. And a lot of times people already have their tribes. So I was even talking to my husband about this because we were saying how when I was younger, I always had these sort of built in friend groups. So it was like, I don't know what I'm doing this weekend, but I know who I'm doing it with. And I think as my family has grown, it can be trickier. I do have, you know, my pickleball friends and I have these different friendships that are important to me, but I don't necessarily have this like group of people because a lot of the weekends are spent doing things with my family and we don't necessarily have, we have family friends, but we don't have like these super close where everyone in the family is sort of connected, you know, with the kids and the grownups. And so I think it just makes a big difference and it can cause us to feel more lonely or to feel less connected. So again, 2024, maybe that's something that we work on is just being more socially connected. So just to sort of recap, um, just some of these things that we focus on for our mental health, I would encourage you to try to drink a little more water, have some sort of a gratitude practice, Try to get quality sleep, move your body more, get outside when you can, practice some mindfulness, and really focus on your social connections. And if that sounds overwhelming to you, just pick like one thing to just do a little bit. Remember that one degree of change will land you in a very different place a year from now. And maybe your goal right now is just to survive. Maybe you're in a part of your life where there's a lot of struggle, a lot of stress. 
And that's okay too. I don't want to force resolutions or force things on you that that aren't good for you. But I think just some of these self-care things can really help improve our mental health regardless of what's happening in our life. So I'd love to hear about your goals, your resolutions, your intentions for the new year, things you want to focus on. Uh, you can follow me. I am most active on Instagram, which is jen.ally.therapist. Um, and I would love to hear what you're going to do this next year. What's important for you to focus on. I also wanted to say that if you're a person who does set new year's resolutions or who is interested in kind of shifting some of your habits, I really recommend the books, atomic habits, as well as the power of habit. And so I will link those as well in the show notes. Please visit me at www.jenally.com. Be sure to share this episode with a friend if you found it helpful and please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll look forward to being with you again next week.